the time is 7 o'clock. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, KMUE Eureka, KLAI Laytonville. It's time for the pilots. I'm sorry. It's time for Ask Your Herb Doctor. But first, I'd like, like to let you know that support comes from the Redwood Coast Energy Authority, which wants the community to know there are a variety of resources to help customers pay their bills, find the right rate plan, and manage their energy use during the current crisis. Visit redwoodenergy.org for complete details or call 707-269-1700 for more information. This is your engineer, and you're probably expecting to hear the opening chords of the Ask Your Herb Doctor theme song, but somehow I managed to erase it from my talk show themes uh, thing. Oh, I think I know how to find it. Hold on. And the Herb Doctors haven't called in either, so I will drop them an email and find their theme song somewhere. Herb Doctors. Do we got you? Yeah. Excellent. And Dr. Pete, do I have you? Yes. Excellent. And Sarah, I believe you're on Dr. Pete's same line as him, so uh, we do have a caller open for phone calls, too. 
Oh, good. Yeah, Andrew and I are on the same line. We're on speakerphone. Can you hear us all okay? Oh, yeah. So you're both on the VIP. Okay. Uh, someone else might have called in and I might have... Okay, well, good. We've got you both. No, We've I, got two I lines open. I called in on the VIP just a minute ago, and then I got talking to you, then I hung up, and then Sarah called 3911. Oh, okay, so no one is on the VIP right now. Okay, so we have one line open for callers when the time comes in a half an hour or so, and uh, take her away. Okay. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Arab Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Welcome. For those of you who've never listened to the show, they run from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock on the third Friday of each month. And from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, callers are invited to call in with any questions regarding the subject. Uh, and the number is 707-923-3911. So from 7.30 till 8 o'clock, uh, people are invited to call in with questions. And Dr. Raymond Peake is our guest speaker. And uh, Dr. Peake, can I just confirm that you're on the line? Uh, yeah, yes, I, I can hear you barely. Okay, can you hear me any better now? Uh, uh, not much, but uh, it'll do, I think. Well, Andrew, if you guys called back on the VIP line, he should hear yeah, you a little bit that, better. Michael. Okay. Let me, let, thank you. And why don't we have Dr. Pete introduce himself, and he can say what his specialty is. Uh, now you want me to? Uh, yeah, because they're calling in, so you're alone here for a second. So could you just tell our listeners kind of who you are and what your background was? Uh, um, yeah, uh, I, I used to uh, study and teach uh, literature, painting, humanities. And uh, um, in 1968, uh, I went back to graduate school in biology, University of Oregon, uh, for a Ph.D. in uh, physiology. Uh, physiology and biochemistry, especially relating to aging and female hormones, and uh, since 1972, I've been uh, studying, uh, writing, and uh, consulting with uh, people, uh, individuals, and, and doctors. Excellent. And uh, for some reason, they're not calling in on the VIP line. Could you tell a little bit more about your history? I'm going to go troubleshoot in the other studio. Uh, okay. Uh, my uh, dissertation uh, was on the uh, oxidative uh, changes, changes in uh, uh, respiratory uh, uh, chemistry uh, of uh, uterine tissue in particular, uh, but uh, to some extent uh, the whole organism and, and how it changes uh, uh, during aging and, and how that relates to the infertility of menopause, uh, and it, it turns out that uh, estrogen, rather than being uh, uh, just uh, the female hormone, as they have called it, is really a, a stress-related uh, hormone that uh, is e equally uh, active and, and dangerous in men as in women, uh, and uh, th those age-related changes and uh, estrogen-related changes uh, uh, can be imitated by things that interfere with cellular respiration, including ionizing radiation, and they're offset by a variety of things, especially progesterone and vitamin E. Uh, the, the um, much of my attention, uh, especially in the 1970s and 80s, uh, was on how the polyunsaturated fats in the diet uh, interact with uh, all of these stresses, uh, aging and an excess of estrogen in particular, uh, correspond to the uh, deterioration of polyunsaturated fats uh, uh, by random uh, oxidation. Uh, and uh, so, so a basic thing to uh, protect 
against aging and, and stress is to simply reduce the amount of polyunsaturated fats taken in in the diet. Excellent little summary. Uh, so the herb doctors are suddenly MIA. Uh, I checked the other thing in the other studio, and uh, they had called in earlier on the VIP line. So I'm not. They said that actually it didn't work earlier before they had tried. So maybe we have some problem our phone line. And I just emailed them to try calling three nine one one again. And if you're listening in, please call three nine one one. Uh, and do you know what the topic was which you're speaking of today? Uh, we're going to start out talking about and uh, maybe listening to uh, uh, an interview between David Martin and uh, Reiner Fuelmisch and colleagues uh, relating to the history of the so-called uh, the COVID virus and the surrounding patents and financial relations. And what was the other David Martin and whom? Uh, uh, Reiner Fuelmisch, who is a German uh, lawyer uh, in, in both California and Germany, who is uh, saying that uh, the state governments are uh, falsifying information relating to the uh, uh, pandemic uh, and is uh, organizing uh, legal challenges to the lockdowns uh, and other uh, government restrictions. Uh, and uh, uh, David Martin is a financial advisor who uh, part of his uh, business is the uh, Advising investment organizations on how to evaluate patents and other intellectual property. Excellent. So he has now, for over 20 years, been analyzing patents in detail, and he has gone through all of the patents closely related to the virus and vaccine. Uh, so he has a unique perspective on the the legal situation uh, and the historical uh, financial connections well, to the pandemic. Excellent. So I searched for that. I can't find it on YouTube offhand, but we have the herb doctors back, and I suppose they'll be able to play for us. You're back. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Pete. Can you hear me? Uh, yep. Now. Okay, good. I'm sorry about this technical hitch we've had here with the internet. I think um, hopefully this will be clear now, and I can hear you well. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. I'm not too sure. Um, I heard you leading into perhaps uh, what we were going to discuss this evening um, with Dr. David Martin and what he's just exposed and the uh, basis for it. Would you uh, just quickly mention what you were saying so I understand where you were before I want to read out a transcript of some of these facts and some of the information that he's disclosed in very specific detail showing exactly what's going on? Um, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think he says it better than anyone else I've heard. <laughs> Okay, so let me let me just go ahead then. I'm uh, I'm sorry for the mix-up, folks, but you're listening to us here at Dr. Kane D. Garville, 91.1 FM, from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. Um, you're invited to call in with questions uh, either related to this month's subject, which is going to be transhumanism. And based on a interview uh, with Rainer Formick and Dr. David Martin, who's the head, uh, Dr. David Martin uh, has is the chairman and has run the company, is the CEO of the company uh, called MCAM. Uh, in 1998, he started up as the world's largest underwriter of intangible assets used in finance, and this is what is important, folks. Uh, in 168 countries in the majority of the world, uh, the entire managing body of all patents and patent applications, federal grants, procurement records, e-government records, etc., are stored there, and they have the ability to not only track what's happening and who's involved in what is happening, 
They monitor a series of schematic interests for a variety of organizations and individuals, as well as for their own commercial use. Uh, they monitor the innovation that's happening around the world, specifically to monitor the economics of those innovations, and the company's been running since 1998. Uh, they've reviewed the over 4,000 patents that have been issued around SARS coronavirus, and they've comprehensively reviewed the financing of all the manipulations of coronavirus, which gave rise to SARS as a subclade or family of the beta coronavirus family. So let's give you an overview here. Um, the reported gene sequence, which was reportedly isolated as a novel coronavirus, indicated as such by the International Committee on Taxonomy of Viruses at the World Health Organization, uh, the, took these actual genetic sequences that were reportedly novel and reviewed those against the patent records that were held by this company that I mentioned that Dr. David Martin is the chairman and the CEO of. Uh, these patent records that were available uh, as of the spring of 2020, and what they found was in the report that there was over 120 patented pieces of evidence to suggest that the declaration of a novel coronavirus was actually entirely a fallacy. There was no novel coronavirus. There are countless very subtle modifications of coronavirus sequences which have been uploaded, but there was no single identified novel coronavirus at all. As a matter of fact, they found records in the patent records of sequences attributed to novelty going to patents that were sought as early as 1999. Up to 1999, the patent activity surrounding coronaviruses was uniquely applied to veterinary scientists. The first vaccine ever patented for coronaviruses was sought by Pfizer. And the application for the first vaccine for coronavirus, which was specific for S-spike protein, the exact same thing that allegedly we have rushed into invention. So first filing in January of 2000, 21 years ago, so the idea that we mysteriously stumbled on the way to intervene on vaccines is not only ludicrous, but incredulous. Because Timothy Miller, Sharon Kleefer, Albert Paul Reed, and Elaine Jones, on January the 28th, 2000, filed U.S. patent number 6372224, a spike protein virus vaccine uh, for what was ultimately issued as this patent. So the spike protein virus uh, vaccine for the canine coronavirus, which was the first one that was issued, are one of multiple forms of coronavirus. Uh, and the early work up until 1999 was largely focused on the area of vaccines for animals. And the two animals receiving the most attention were uh, the dog virus uh, and the rabbit myopathy. And Ralph Berrick's work on rabbits. Uh, with rabbit cardiomyopathy that was associated with a significant loss amongst breeders, uh, and also the canine coronavirus uh, in Pfizer's work to develop the S and spike protein vaccine target candidates. Uh, neither the coronavirus concept of a vaccine nor the principle of the coronavirus itself as a pathogen of interest uh, with, with respect to the spike protein's behavior not at all in fact, is 22 years old based on patent filings. Um, Dr. Martin carries on to state that what is more problematic and actually the most egregious problem is that Anthony Fauci and the NIAID found that the malleability of coronavirus to be a potential candidate for HIV vaccines, and so SARS is actually not a natural progression of a genetic modification of coronavirus, as a matter of fact. Very specifically in 1999, Anthony Fauci funded research at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, specifically to create, now listen to this carefully, to create. This comes from a patent application uh, filed on April 19, 2002. The NIAID built an infectious replication defective coronavirus specifically targeted for human lung epithelia, saying, quote, unquote, we made SARS and we patented it. April 19, 2002, before any alleged outbreak in Asia, which, as you know, followed that by several months. Patent number US 7279327 clearly lays out in specific gene sequencing the fact 
that we knew the ACE receptor, the ACE2 binding domain, the S1 spike protein, and other elements of what we've come to know as this scourge pathogen was not only engineered, but could be synthetically modified in the lab using nothing more than gene sequencing technology, taking computer code and turning it into a pathogen or an intermediate of the pathogen, and that technology was funded exclusively in the early days as a means by which we could harness coronavirus as a vector to distribute HIV vaccine. You will not see this on social media or YouTube, as it's not for your ears or eyes, but it can be witnessed on brand new tube, and we'll give the address out later on. Um, so in the early 2000s, the anthrax event of September 2001 was getting attention. Um, bacterial and viral pathogens, which were being patented through the NIH, NIAID, the U.S. AMRID and Armed Services uh, Infection Disease Program, uh, and other agencies, whose concern was that the coronavirus was being seen not only as a potential manipulable agent for potential use as a vaccine vector, but it was also being clearly considered as a biological weapon candidate. Uh, first public reporting on this took place uh, prior to the SARS outbreak in the latter part of 2001. Uh, and the China outbreak of 2002 and 2003 gave rise to a very problematic April 2003 filing by the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention. In addition to filing the entire gene sequence on what became SARS coronavirus, which is actually a violation of U.S. Code Section 35, uh, Section 201, rather, Section 35, U.S. Code Section 101, you cannot patent a naturally occurring substance. That patent also had a series of derivative patents associated with it, uh, two of which are U.S. 4659703P and U.S. 776521. These patents covered the gene sequence of sars coronavirus, but also covered the means of detecting it using reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reactions, or RT-PCR. So you own the patent on the gene itself and on its detection. In other words, you control 100% of the provenance of the virus itself and its detection. The patent office not once but twice rejected as patentable the gene sequence because it was already in the public domain. And the CDC themselves overrode the Patent Office rejection, or the two rejections, and in 2017 got the patent on SARS-CoV. So then in June of 2008, Ablinx and Sanofi filed patents targeting the novel features of SARS-Coronavirus uh, using such terms as the polybasic cleavage site for SARS-Coronavirus and the receptor binding domain. In November the 24th, 2015, another patent was issued, US 919-3780, after the gain-of-function moratorium after the MERS outbreak in the Middle East. And a famous quote that was quoted by Dr. David Martin from Peter Dash Dashek, who's the EcoHealth Alliance uh, administrator co co corroborating the non-lab leak, he said, we need to increase public understanding of the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. The public must accept a pan-coronavirus vaccine. So, he also carries on to outline that in 2004, Merck, under their coronavirus research, used the new normal as a campaign, a universal influenza vaccine. And Moderna knew it was going to be placed in the front of the line in developing a vaccine uh, during March of 2019. And they amended a series of rejected patent filings to make reference to intentional and deliberate release of coronavirus. They amended four rejected patent applications to begin the process of coronavirus vaccine development. Significant problem was that they relied on technology they did not own. Two Canadian companies, Arbutus Pharmaceuticals and Acuidus Pharmaceuticals, owned the patent 
on the lipid nanoparticle envelope required to deliver the injection of the mRNA fragment. Now, Moderna tried to negotiate with the two companies, and also in 2016 to 2019, the NIAID board meeting, uh, Fauci lamented that people were not going to engage in an influenza vaccine. Um, several other re references were made uh, to how this patent application issued by companies seeking complete ownership of a substance or a, a, a technique puts uh, this doctor in a very important position to find written evidence of things that were happening, and he's saying that it is complete com collusion and it is a despotic and tyrannous uh, episode that's been foisted on people, and that the influenza vaccines are a decade-long vaccine mandate that's desperately um, failed by governments around the world, and they failed, and they decided if influenza doesn't deliver on the public decision to get a vaccine, let's change the pathogen. So I want to just give folks the address of this uh, interview, which I think is so important and groundbreaking, and it's something that I, I could hardly believe my ears when I was hearing it. But I've also listened to Dr. David Martin in uh, two, let's see here, this May of 2020, uh, when Dr. P and I and others around the world were saying this is not a pandemic, apparently influenza has disappeared. We're only seeing uh, COVID cases. And other doctors were lamenting the fact that their failed treatments of intubation were killing people and that this was not the usual uh, presentation and that what they were dealing with was something very different. Uh, and we've covered all of the herbal uh, anti-inflammatories that are certainly very safe and tolerable and effective that have been used, and hydroxychloroquine is one of those um, agents. Other anti-parasitics, namely ivermectin, uh, is also well indicated. Uh, Losartan as an ACE2 agent is well indicated, and Dr. Pete has named many other um, substances with anti-inflammatory activity that work very well. So the fact that Dr. David Martin outlines in patent records all of the filings specifically, and I believe there'll be some case. I know uh, Wolfgang Wodard um, was saying that there needs to be, and there are a lawyer uh, organization, have been for eight months or more, uh, coming together to file lawsuits against what's happening because it's very unconstitutional. Uh, is completely experimental, and people should not be forced under any way to take this experimental drug, which has, as Dr. Pete will describe the next part, uh, some very serious uh, implications for people, and it's done as a huge illusion that this is something that is new. It's not new. It's basically been a weaponized product, and Dr. David Miller has all of the evidence and he's not a conspiracist, and what you've been hearing us talk about for a long time now is not conspiracy, and people really need to start waking up and seeing how they're being manipulated. So, Dr. Pete, uh, I'm sorry for taking such a long time up with the beginning of that, and I wanted to uh, get your uh, feedback on what I've said as part of uh, what De David Martin's outlined uh, in terms of the timelines, uh, the laboratories, Fauci's involvement with this, Gates' involvement, the World Health Organization, how this whole thing came about and how the whole world has been essentially brainwashed uh, into accepting this universal vaccine for which there are more vaccines and more shots and a never-ending charade of illnesses and, and treatments which are coming down the pipeline of the mRNA science that we've all been seduced by. The, the people behind this have, have been talking about uh, uh, ways to mobilize uh, cultural change uh, to get rid of the old economy and force a change uh, to a new digital uh, artificial intelligence-based uh, uh, economy as a way of getting ahead of China is one of the arguments. But it's been a theme now for well over 10 years. And uh, 
the Rockefeller Foundation put out a publication showing the dreadful alternatives for the world if if we don't conform and live online and digitally and even change the nature of what it is to be human, that mere humans are not going to fit into the efficient digital future that they're proposing. Uh, More more than 50 years ago, uh, some of these uh, trends were getting organized in the Club of Rome, for example, uh, which said the population of the world has to be reduced. MIT has been a major force in helping to change the world, to get the world to believe that everything must be reduced to something that can be controlled and calculated by computers. In the 1940s and 50s, uh, cybernetics uh, was largely based on a reasonable ab- approach to the world. Uh, uh, analog uh, computers, uh, uh, mechanical uh, governors uh, of motors and so on. Uh, uh, Norbert Wiener was one of the founders of this way of, of looking at the world, uh, which uh, has always it's centered on living human uh, organisms, uh, simply using uh, computers as support and backup. But uh, Norbert Wiener, teaching at MIT, was relegated to uh, insignificance with the powerful government support given to uh, supporting the uh, the digital uh, approach to reality, leaving humans out of the inqu- uh, out of the equation unless they can be uh, modified, uh, uh, changing their operating system is one of the images that is recurring. Uh, the, the people who who are currently involved in promoting the vaccine uh, presented uh, the use of nucleic acids in so-called vaccines uh, in, in terms of changing the operating system of the human, human being, uh, uh, turning uh, uh, organisms uh, into uh, something like cyborgs, uh, uh, ch- changing their operating system uh, to solve problems uh, rather than uh, going about it in traditional ways in which uh, the person is considered an autonomous, uh, uh, intrinsically uh, uh, central uh, being in the process rather than simply an auxiliary uh, to a a worldwide computer-controlled system. I wanted to uh, ask you, you know, your take on this, because I also uh, understood what was um, what was laid out in, in terms of quote unquote the Delta variant. Now that the world has to be scared and cowed into taking the vaccine if you haven't already, that it's all about the starting and stopping reading frame uh, within which the genome uh, is used to assign. Uh, a difference, and he was also outlining this very scientifically that there's absolutely zero difference. Yeah, there's the, a website in, that has in these variants. There are no different variants. It's okay. where you start and stop, and what you look for. If you look for it, you'll find it. If you don't look for it, you won't find it. And there, that, there, there's a website on the internet that has been publishing the exact sequences as mutations happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, they have thousands 
variations, very minor changes, but you could pick out any one of those thousands of slight modifications and say this is a new variant. There are thousands of new variants, and all they have to do is decide to hype one particular thing and call it a new danger. They start simply by out of the air picking one of these thousands of variations and saying that now now we have a new threat. Right. They're twisting the facts and it's propaganda when they talk about these variants. Is that what you're saying, Dr. Pete? Yeah, there are variants all all, all over the world, but uh, the uh, gathering evidence of whether any one of them specifically correlates to anything different from a common cold, uh, the evidence just hasn't been established. That they, they will uh, look at a person's blood, for example, uh, and say, uh, yes, they have uh, antibodies to, that, that are relevant to this particular variant. So uh, maybe there's uh, something actually meaningful there, but it's isolated information that doesn't have a, doesn't have a context. Uh, there's no factual basis for saying this is relevant to the world at large. And you're asking, you're sure, you're listening to Ask Your Doctor, KME Degarble 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show, are you invited to call in with any questions about this month's subject of transhumanism uh, and what it could mean for people living in the future with the uh, methods at hand in the present to alter our genome and to create differences that never would have biologically occurred naturally. And so it's a very interesting subject, uh, a very frightening subject in some ways, a very Frankensteinian subject. Uh, and I guess the future here in the, in the very near future will play out. Uh, in the next uh, one to three years, we uh, may or may not see some of the devastating effects of what's happened as this quote-unquote pandemic has been released and people have been cowed into absolute fear through the media, uh, through the hype, through governments and collusion between companies and powerful interests. And it sounds like a big conspiracy, doesn't it? But it's truly frightening as much as the biggest <laughs> the biggest conspiracies are often the ones that sound the most fantastic. They're actually the, there's actual reality involved in it. And uh, I also looked at um, the World Health Organization uh, in the past here that they actually said, and they were quoted uh, in 2007 or 2008, that um, coronavirus was a dead interest and that effectively the world um, didn't really have a problem with coronaviruses anymore. Um, they were moving on from that as a specific targeted threat to other um, biological agents that were still ravaging the planet, you know, whether it's malaria um, or dengue fever maybe or some of the other viral vectors that cause um, severe disease world worldwide or in specific geographical locations, but that coronaviruses were basically a dead interest. It was all done. But then in 2019, um, the, <laughs> the paper, quote, unquote, a world at risk, uh, months before the alleged pathogen arrived on the scene, the paper described the need for a coordinated global experience of a respiratory pathogen release, which by September 2020 must be in place and a universal capacity for public relations management, crowd control, and acceptance of the universal vaccine mandate must be in place. So it seems like the, the language of this intentional pathogen release has been fulfilled in the world of risk that was um, what I mentioned here, uh, and that the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board's unified statement was what I just said. So on the one hand, the, the WHO have dismissed coronavirus as a kind of dead interest. It wasn't really generating much fear or causing much death, and so let's move on to something more important. Uh, yet, 
in 2019 here, they come with this statement or the statement by the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board saying that we've really got to get people in line. They've got to be cowed. They've got to take the vaccine, you know. Um, and could I butt in for a second here? We have a caller. Yeah, great. And also, I think I forgot to say at the beginning that the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day on Redwood Community Radio are those of the speakers and not necessarily the station staff, volunteers, or underwriters. And here is our caller who called 923-3911. Okay, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Yeah, my question is that, uh, oh, I have an echo, unfortunately. I might have to back. Okay, I can hear you okay. I didn't hear an echo, but um, maybe you've got a radio that's on. Can you or... hear the echo? I don't yeah, hear the echo. Yeah, my phone does this sometimes. I'll just call you back. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll wait for that uh, caller to call back. Um, and, and we have when, another caller, uh, though. Engineer, just let us know when you've got him back on the line again. Well, we have another caller who was behind him, so. Okay, let's, let's take this next caller then, and hopefully the first one will call back. Uh, I didn't get an echo. I don't know if you did, Engineer, but let's take no, this I next didn't. caller. You're on the air. What's your question? Where are you from? Hi, is that me? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so you were talking about uh, messing up RNA and nucleic acids and, and stuff like that, so I was just wondering... What you thought about uh, about eating sardines as a protective food? I heard that they have a unique calcium compound and are and are very rich in RNA, DNA, nucleic acids. So I was just, even though they have a bit of PUFA, I was just wondering your opinion on sardines. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, 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 yeah, your opinion on um, sardines. Uh, some of the nucleic acids in all of our, our foods can reach the bloodstream and can even be incorporated into our cells. But if it's just from an ordinary organism, our cells generally check the, the meaning of these stretches of RNA and, and DNA, and most of them are rejected very small amounts of our food nucleic acids can be incorporated into our own genome, but they're simply the instructions for making proteins for sardines or cows or carrots or whatever the food item happens to be, and there's nothing special or toxic about foreign DNA. It's possibly useful, possibly harmful, but it's um, most of it is discarded, not assimilated. But the vaccine RNA and or DNA is specifically only a harmful, a designer of a harmful a very toxic protein, the spike protein, and it's deliberately designed to get into our cells. Once this blueprint for a toxic protein is inside the cell, it has the possibility, as demonstrated by experimenters at Harvard, MIT, in vitro, they showed that the vaccine RNA can be reverse transcribed by the intrinsic enzymes of our cells and and turned into DNA. Uh, And that DNA uh, has the possibility of, of enduring in the cell after the vaccine RNA has been eliminated. And the assumption of the people making the vaccines, people like Byron Bridal, a virologist in Canada, said that everyone assumed that the vaccine would stay where they put it. But in in fact, the Pfizer document of a study 
done in Japan that was released fairly recently showed that they knew that the RNA and the other materials in the vaccine left the site of vaccination, quickly got into the bloodstream, circulated throughout the body, and was concentrated in various organs, including the bone marrow and especially the ovaries, exactly the places you don't want endlessly producing a very toxic protein. And we have two more callers. Okay, let's take, um, I don't mean, I think you, if you were finished with that, that uh, feedback there, Dr. Pete, or we can take the next two callers uh, and see where these questions are going. So essentially, uh, nucleic acids from sardines, would you uh, rate them rate them as a problem or? I couldn't hear that. Okay, never mind. I, I'm sorry about the connection here, folks, uh, with the things where they are. We're not in the uh, studio Hopefully, the next month or the month after, things will be uh, back to normal. Huh? Okay, so let's take the next call. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Caller, that's you. Caller? Okay, well, we'll say three, two, one, and here is the second caller who I told to listen on the phone. Let's see if he's listening on the phone. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I was looking at the COVID page today, and uh, apparently Humboldt is doing fairly well. They've lost one person since the uh, 8th of July, and then uh, Mendocino, I think, has uh, has not lost anyone uh, since uh, July 1st started. But um, for the most part, the smartest thing to do with this would be not to spread it. And there are places in Southern California, San Bernardino County, they're losing 30 people a day. I think they're, you know, they're, uh, you know, get, you know, 10,000, and it's not 10,000 brand new cases per day, but it's, it's up there. And, uh, so just don't travel would, uh, be a smart advice. Uh, but, uh, Okay, well, thank you for your, uh, thank you for your comments. And let's take the next. We're on uh, KMBD Garbage 91.1 FM. Uh, until nine, 8 o'clock at the end of the show, you're invited to call in number 707-923-3911. Dr. Raymond Peake, a guest speaker. And this month's subject may roll into next month's transhumanism, uh, what we will become. And, and we have our next caller on the air. Caller, you're on the air. Oh, well, here, let's try this caller. Caller, you are on the air. Technical difficulty all around. Yeah, I'm not uh, hearing this caller. Let's. Caller, can you hear me? You want to go on? Well, well, you guys talk amongst yourselves and I'll get someone else lined up. <laughs> see, see if they call back then. Okay, so and, until they call back, uh, just again, Dr. Pete, would you quickly speak on the uh, disappearance of influenza uh, and what that's what that really entails in terms of numbers and where we're gathering the data from, etc. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the influenza vaccination campaign uh, uh, was very intense, but they were uh, seeing complications such as uh, if you were vaccinated for influenza the following season, you were more likely than otherwise to uh, contract a- any of the uh, coronaviruses, uh, uh, the, uh, more, more like the common cold virus. Uh, and uh, there, there was a lot of disillusionment about the uh, influenza virus. And the figures had been inflated by the CDC, uh, calling it influenza when actually only uh, 10% of the pneumonia cases uh, had influenza as a cause, uh, but, but they were still publishing uh, large numbers of pneumonia deaths uh, ascribed to influenza infection until the 
second week of April of 2020. That week, their influenza deaths went almost to zero, and simultaneously, there was this huge spike in deaths ascribed to COVID. So as influenza disappeared from the world, COVID mortality replaced it exactly. Genevieve Briand at Johns Hopkins University, a statistician, did a careful analysis of the cause of death and even heart disease deaths decreased drastically at the same time influenza disappeared. So now, for over a year, the world has been historically deficient in so-called influenza, and approximately similar numbers of pneumonia cases and deaths are being blamed on COVID. That kind of a mysterious substitution in reality is beyond credibility. It's obviously a fabricated change of names. And we have two callers. Okay, Dr. P, uh, let's uh, take this first, the two callers here, uh, see where we're going with the question. So, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Uh, this is Rob from Missoula. Hey, Rob. Montana. Hi. Yes, uh, Dr. Pete, I'm really enjoying the discussion, and uh, I, I had something a little off topic. Um, my temperature, my body temperatures are pretty normal at about 97.8 to 98.8. But if I go out for a walk or any kind of exercise, regardless of the warmth outside, it'll drop three or four degrees and then come back up slowly over about half an hour or so up to normal. And I was wondering what might be going on. How are you taking your temperature? Uh, I, I've tried it axially and oral, orally, um, to, just to make sure it wasn't, I was breathing cold air or something. Uh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty sure that that's actually what's happening. Uh, um, that, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what could be causing that, but I think it would be good to check your pulse rate at the same time and see what your pulse is doing when, when your temperature is dropping so much. Dr. Pete, I, I was wondering if it might have anything to do with glycogen, glycogen storage. Um, uh, yeah, it takes uh, fairly uh, strong exercise to uh, deplete your glycogen to the point that your blood sugar would uh, be very low. Uh, but uh, if your liver isn't storing glycogen because of hypothyroidism, for example, uh, then exercise uh, uh, does quickly bring on stress, uh, releasing things like serotonin, which uh, chemically try to put you into hibernation, uh, turn off your heat production. And, okay. Uh, and we have one more caller, and we're almost out of time. Thank you. Right, thanks for the call, call. Let's take this next caller quickly and uh, let's get Good evening, Dr. Pete. I am interjecting a question about my 79-year-old boyfriend who's a very tall man, about 6 feet 4. He woke up yesterday with vertigo. And it's his 79-year-old birthday party on the 14th because of it. What would you recommend? Uh, uh, first, vertigo. Uh, first checking. Like the whole world is swirling around. At two o'clock in the morning, um, uh, it, it could be uh, uh, some e event in the brain or uh, in the ear. But uh, something that's always important to check is whether uh, there's any bowel disturbance. Uh, 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 
diarrhea or uh, even discomfort in the abdomen uh, can release surges of endotoxin, histamine, and serotonin that cause inflammation in the inner ear and vertigo. Yes. Uh, so uh, I don't think it's good to uh, assume that uh, something like a stroke is involved okay. until you've uh, checked on the condition of the bowel. He seemed to be okay the next day, and I don't know, you know, I've never seen him get like that, although seven or eight years ago he did have um, a severe flu, which put him 14 days in the emergency room, and his heart beat went to 187, and then he's been fine ever since. And it's weird because he, like, did get a Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and so did I. But is it really only 70% effective or what? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't like the concept of RNA virus, I mean, RNA anything. Because, you know, ribonucleic acid is, you know, the anti-spiral effect of DNA, and I don't like anti-despiralization of my DNA code. I don't believe in it. Okay, thank you. Uh, we got to wrap right. up now. Bye. Okay, thank, thank you. Cool. Uh, Dr. Pete, thank you so much. It's gone so quickly. I have so much more to get into, but thank you for your time, Dr. Pete. Let me give you your information out and more information about where people can access the information we've discussed. Okay, thanks. Okay, so for people that have listened to the show, Dr. David Martin, you've really got, I mean, I know people get emails about you must see this, you must see that, and people get tired. And I think, unfortunately, that's what happens to a lot of people. They're just getting tired, and they don't want to look too much further. But essentially, this man wraps it up in about an hour and 15 minutes exactly what came to be with the drug companies, the patents, follow the money. It's what we've always said, follow the money. Uh, and Dr. Pete's always said there's been no big uptick in deaths from influenza, COVID, etc. And that it's a very media-driven uh, conspiracy and that Dr. David Martin puts the facts together in a very succinct way. And he's not at all a conspiracist, but he's an analyst, a financial analyst of the patents that, he, that his company holds uh, in keeping for financial reasons for the people that file the patents. So obviously there are lawyers, attorneys involved with this to make sure and scrutinize uh, the patents and the activities, and it's a worldwide business. 168 countries are represented by his firm, most of the world, and he's been doing this for over 20 years. 20 years. So brand new tune because you won't find it on YouTube. I wonder why. But listen, he's on YouTube in his own right for other discussions, and people can go to Brand New Tube and type in man, a manufactured illusion. Uh, it was actually published July the 7th, sorry, July the 9th, um, and he has an interview with Rainer Fulmi, uh, and he very clearly lays out all the timeline from 1998 through to now and the actors involved and the reasons and I think there's going to be a lot of pushback against what's been foisted on us. So I appreciate people listening to the show. Uh, Dr. Pete can be reached at raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com. Uh, we can be reached at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Um, a lot of the archive material is on our website uh, and the archives are on YouTube. But listen to the brand-new tube. Go to Brand New Tube and type in a manufactured illusion, Dr. David Martin, with Rainier Warnick. You won't believe what you're going to hear, folks. Uh, thanks for your time. And until the third Friday of next month, my name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Thank you for listening. Good night. It is 7.59. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, KMUE Eureka, KLAI Laytonville. Get prepared to step out on a wing and a prayer with Shyla and Shaka.